0: Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the first Sunday in Lent. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Grant, Almighty God, through the yearly observances of Holy Lent, that we may grow in understanding of the riches hidden in Christ, and by worthy conduct pursue their effects. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever.
1: Amen. A reading from the book of Deuteronomy. Moses said to the people, The priest shall take the pannier from your hand and lay it before the altar of the Lord your God. Then, in the sight of your Lord your God, You must make this pronouncement. My father was a wandering Aramean. He went down into Egypt to find refuge there. Few in numbers, but there he became a nation, great, mighty and strong. The Egyptians ill-treated us. They gave us no peace and inflicted harsh slavery on us. Though we called on the Lord, the God of our fathers. The Lord heard our voice and saw our misery. Our toil, our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with mighty hand and outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us here and gave us this land, a land where milk and honey flow. Here then I bring the first fruits of the produce of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. You must then lay them before the Lord your God and bow down in the sight of the Lord your God. The word of the Lord.
2: Thanks be to God.
1: Be with me, Lord, when I am in trouble.
0: Be with me, Lord, when I am in trouble.
1: He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High and abides in the shade of the Almighty says to the Lord, My refuge, my stronghold, my God in whom I trust.
0: Be with me, Lord, when I am in trouble.
1: Upon you no evil shall fall, no plague approach where you dwell. For you has he commanded his angels to keep you in all your ways.
0: Be with me, Lord, when I am in trouble.
1: They shall bear you upon their hands, lest you strike your foot against a stone, On the lion and the viper you will tread, and trample the young lion and the dragon.
0: Be with me, Lord, when I am in trouble.
1: His love he set on me, so I will rescue him. Protect him, for he knows my name. When he calls, I shall answer. I am with you. I will save him in distress, and give him glory.
0: Be with me, Lord, when I am in trouble.
2: A reading from the letter of St Paul to the Philippians. My brothers, be united in following my rule of life. Take as your models everybody who is already doing this, and study them as you used to study us. I have told you often, and I repeat it today with tears. There are many who are behaving as the enemies of the cross of Christ. They are destined to be lost. They make foods into their God, and they are proudest of something they ought to think shameful. The things they think important are earthly things. For us, our homeland is in heaven, and from heaven comes the Saviour we are waiting for, the Lord Jesus Christ, and He will transfigure these wretched bodies of ours into copies of His glorious body. He will do that by the same power with which He can subdue the whole universe. So then, my brothers and dear friends, do not give way, but remain faithful in the Lord. I miss you very much, dear friends. You are my joy and my crown. The word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God.
2: Glory and praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. From the shining cloud, the Father's voice is heard. This is my beloved Son. Hear him. Glory and praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ.
0: The Lord be with you.
2: And with your spirit.
0: A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke.
2: Glory to you, O Lord.
0: Filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit through the wilderness, being tempted there by the devil for forty days. During that time he ate nothing, and at the end he was hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the son of God, tell this stone to turn into a loaf. But Jesus replied, Scripture says, Man does not live on bread alone. Then leading him to a height, the devil showed him in a moment of time all the kingdoms of the world and said to him, I will give you all this power and the glory of these kingdoms, for it has been committed to me, and I give it to anyone I choose. Worship me then. And it shall all be yours. But Jesus answered him, Scripture says, You must worship the Lord your God, and serve him alone. Then he led him to Jerusalem, and made him stand on the parapet of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said to him, Throw yourself down from here. For Scripture says, He will put his angels in charge of you to guard you. And again, They will hold you up on their hands in case you hurt your foot against a stone. But Jesus answered him, It has been said, You must not put the Lord your God to the test. Having exhausted all these ways of tempting him, the devil left him to return at the appointed time. The Gospel of the Lord.
2: Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ.
0: So here we are in Lent and, uh, you know, presumably our practices of prayer, fasting and arms have um, made a bit of a start. Perhaps we're going strong. Uh, maybe we've struggled a little bit. Uh, but you know what? I think the church is uh, very understanding of our humanity. And, and so she takes a moment to present us at the beginning of this Lenten journey with the temptations in the desert. Sounds like we can expect to get a bit of the same treatment these 40 days of our own prayer, fasting and almsgiving. The account of Jesus' temptations in the wilderness, I think, you know, even just a kind of shallow reading of them give us the pretty good indication that there's something deeply symbolic that's going on. We've got to do a little bit of work to scratch the surface to see the dynamic of what's happening in these temptations. I mean, stone to bread... All the kingdoms of the world, throw yourself off the temple. What's going on here? Well, just before we pick up the story in the gospel today, um, we hear that Jesus was baptized in the Jordan by John and the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. And we hear then that Christ was immediately driven into the desert by the Spirit, where he fasted for 40 days and then tempted by the devil. Now, to see what's truly happening in this moment, it's important for us to return to the book of Genesis. And it's there that we find the story of the beauty of God's creation. Um, But it's deforming because of sinful disobedience. See, the Garden of Eden was a place where humanity lived in easy communion with God and with the rest of all of creation, right? There's no need for toil or sweat, and food literally grew on trees. It's a place of delight. And it's a place of protection, because, you know, it's a walled garden. And... It's a garden that's cultivated. It's not wilderness. It's ordered. But then we hear that the serpent slithers in to tempt Eve and Adam to break God's law. And it's an insidious temptation against God's love. We hear this. He says, God, in fact, knows that on the day that you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened And you'll be like gods, knowing good and evil. Now, the temptation here sows doubt in the mind of Eve. God has forbidden Adam and Eve to eat the fruit of this tree. But why? According to the serpent, eating this fruit will open the eyes of Adam and Eve. Eating this fruit will make them like gods and will give them the knowledge that God has. So if the fruit promised all these things, then it would have to be true that God had forbidden Adam and Eve from eating it because he was trying to keep their eyes closed. That he didn't want them to be like gods. That he didn't want Adam and Eve to be his equals, his rivals. And so at the heart of the temptation of the serpent is this one proposition. God doesn't love you. He doesn't want you to reach the fullness of human existence. So, if you want to strive after true happiness, you can't rely on God to give it to you. You need to take it. You need to snatch it from Him. You need to grasp what He's not willing to give. Now, in succumbing to the devil's temptation, Adam and Eve didn't merely break a random rule that God had given them, something arbitrary and a bit nonsensical. No they had fundamentally suspected God's love for them and ruptured their relationship with him. Now, the moment of Jesus' temptation in the desert needs to be seen in the light of the first temptation of Adam and Eve. The accomplishment of Christ's mission will be to bring about a new creation of the world, one which heals the wounds inflicted by sin. So the first thing to notice is that the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus as he rises from the waters of baptism, and then the Spirit drives him into the desert. Now, the first chapter of Genesis recalls that in the beginning of creation, the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters and presided over the great act of creation. Now the spirit hovers and descends upon Jesus. This spirit will once again preside over this new act of creation. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't enter into a nice, luscious, cultivated garden. The life of the garden was broken. And we can see what the garden has turned into. It's a desert where Eden was a place where food was plentiful and only needed to be picked, the desert has become a place of fasting and hunger. Where the garden was a place of easy communion with God, the desert becomes a place where communion with God is a struggle, it's a battle. This is the garden that sin has created. The Messiah, driven by the Holy Spirit, comes into what we've made of creation, a desert. But he's come to recreate the garden. He's come in order to make a new creation. So it's no surprise then that the ancient serpent slithers in with his insidious temptations. And so at the heart of each temptation stands the logic of that first temptation of Adam and Eve, God will not give you bread, he will not give you power, he will not give you honour and esteem, so you need to take them. The fulfilment of life is to be found only when man has the courage to rebel against God, because God is not love. But you know what? The original defeat of Adam is now undone by the great faithfulness of Jesus. And Jesus here is presented now as a new Adam. He doesn't doubt God's goodness and love. The victory of Jesus is the victory for all of humanity because we become the sons and daughters of this new Adam. He's entered into the desert of sin and opened up for us the Garden of Eternity. The magnitude of this story is so understated. It's amazing. And there's this line that always makes me smile. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, after which he was very hungry. <laughs> you don't say. Well, <laughs> the 40 days of Jesus fasting in the desert, it's an echo of another Old Testament story. From the book of Genesis, we go to the book of Exodus, right? Right. Jesus' fasting in the desert echoes the 40 years that Israel spent wandering in the desert as they fled the servitude, the slavery of Egypt, and moved toward the promised land. And during this great passage from slavery to freedom, the Israelites over and over complained to God about their hunger Listen to this. They say, why didn't we die at the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we were able to sit down to pans of meat and could eat bread to our heart's content? As it is, he's talking to Moses, right? You have brought us to this wilderness to starve this whole company to death. How's that for gratitude? The Israelites grumbled and longed to return to their time of slavery, preferring the full stomach to the freedom that comes from being the sons and daughters of the covenant. And this same temptation is being made to Jesus. Wouldn't it just be easier to content yourself with satisfying your immediate desires? This road to freedom... And to communion with God, it involves a road that's too difficult to walk. Stop walking, go back to Egypt. Now, Jesus thwarts this temptation because he's able to recognize the true longing of the human heart. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The true longing of the human heart can't be satisfied with immediate pleasures. Turning stones into bread will only make you hungry again. Jesus is interested in dealing with true hunger. Just like Israel would find its rest only in the land of milk and honey, so too the human heart will only find its rest in the promised land with God. And so the temptation here is to compromise our heart's true desire, to be content with superficial satisfaction, and to be resigned finally to a deep interior frustration. Just ignore the deeper hunger and satisfy the surface one. And gee, we're tempted like this in so many ways. Those instant gratifications which promise to end our hunger, but which ultimately only cut us off from God, the true food for whom we hunger. We're tempted by those superficial satisfactions that we found in Egypt. And so we turn our backs on freedom. And to the promised land. And in those moments of temptation, we turn to our Lord Jesus, who, after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, was hungry. But even so, knew that bread would not satisfy his hunger. And so he wasn't willing to step outside of the providence of God to kind of steal the bread that God wouldn't give him. It kind of echoes a later teaching of Jesus, you know, when he says, you know, which father among you having a son would hand him a stone if he asked for a loaf? Well, what's going on here? The devil is saying, God is not your father and you're not his son. So change the stone he gave you into a loaf. At the end of the day, this temptation, it's not even so much about bread It's about God. Who is God? Is he your loving and provident father? If so, why are you surrounded by stones? I suppose at the heart of every temptation is exactly that. Do you believe that God is your father? And that he provides everything that is good in order to fulfill the deepest longing of your heart? How easily do we say, you know what, God, if you don't give me this, you clearly don't love me. God, if I have to endure this, then clearly you're not a father to me. And I'm not a son to you. Because my life can't continue without whatever it is that I want. But you know, here Jesus actually shows us the way. Right? Bear in mind, he's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He's hungry, right? And he's able to say that even that deepest bodily hunger where it seems like if I don't eat, I'll die. He says, well, no. My life finally isn't about bread. It's about the fulfillment of God's promise. The word that he has spoken to me, the promise that he has made me. I'm your father. You're my son. Trust me. Now, we can sort of look at the extreme situation that Jesus finds himself in, having fasted all of this time and and being presented with the opportunity of receiving bread to satisfy that hunger. But you know what? this isn't the greatest temptation. We read that after the devil had tempted Jesus these three times that the devil leaves and only to return at the appointed time. Well, what happens at the appointed time? In the Garden of Gethsemane, Once again, Jesus is tempted to suspect that God is not his loving father and that instead he should save himself. Jesus now is put into an even more extreme position than he was in the wilderness. How can God be your loving father in the face of the suffering and death that is to come? How can God will your good? How can he seek your life if this is where you're headed? He can't be your father. He can't love you. But once again, Jesus responds with this unshaking, unwavering faith. Not my will, but your will be done. Why? Because you're my father. And Jesus then enters into the real wilderness. Not just the desert of Judea. He enters into the wilderness, which sin has created. Death, right? But how does he do it? He does it with these final words on his lips. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And what do we see as the fruit of that faithfulness? It's the resurrection. It's new life. It's the fullness of life. It's the fulfillment of God's promise. And it's the fulfillment of our heart's deepest desire. I suppose at the end of the day, that's the deepest dynamic that's going on behind every temptation that we experience. Take what God won't give you because he's not a loving father. He's a tyrannical God who won't give you what your heart most deeply longs for. And you'll only be happy when you can finally tell him no. In contrast, we have the life example and words of Jesus Man does not live on bread alone. You must worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. We'll have a happy and holy Lent if, in the face of all of our temptations, we can imitate Christ. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Thanks for praying with us. And may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.